Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have my friend John on the podcast. John is somebody I got to meet this past summer. Uh, we were in Springfield, Missouri. He was doing a training. My friend Rich, um, those two reconnected, and uh, Rich said, hey, we need to, it'd be great to have um, John and his wife Tina come to the picnic. There was a, a picnic there, and so they both came we became fast friends and have really appreciated John as he's now serving with our security consultants in for Africa and helping to keep our our global workers safe as they plant nurture and partner um, with with churches and provide some great great practical insight on uh, three things that we all can do and that's the that's one thing I appreciated about John John's training I went through it um, in October it's three things and he shares there's three things that we we can do. He doesn't try to make us to be um, Bruce Lee or an MMA fighter. He, I was amazed when I was with him in October how quick and fast he is. He is strong, obviously, um, but man, he's quick. But anyway, he gives us uh, three practical things that anyone can do. Um, when faced with a, a situation with somebody that's being uh, an attacker, what we can do and just very, very valuable. And John will jump more into that and he t- talks a lot more eloquently about it than, than I can. Um, but I just thought it'd be great to have him on the podcast with us today. He will be with our Africa family um, in Johannesburg um, coming up in January. Looking forward to that. And I just thought this was a good way for people to get to know him before before that time. And so we'll, we have a broad Ranging discussion. Um, one of the books he recommends a lot um, is The Gift of Fear. And uh, we talk a little bit about that at the end of the podcast. And uh, just he just shares his story, share how God has brought him to the place where he is today, the journey he's been on. We talk about um, e-armor and uh, the, the power of that and using the lessons he's learned um, from the physical world or physical safety and applying that to our emotions and to be emotionally intelligent and how we can carry those things. From the, the other thing is John. He he provides a lot of. I'm, I'm a science guy, right? And so he provides a lot of physiological understanding of what's going on in our brain when we're met with a stress situation. We talk a little bit about uh, stress uh, inoculation and how that can help us if we, you know, so we're not. You know, we learn a lot of things, but then when we're confronted with it, if we haven't walked through a process, then it's, you know, it can be super challenging. So anyway, great, insightful conversation with John. Just really appreciated him, him spending some time with us on the podcast today. Do want to encourage you to continue to send in your questions for Back Channel of Foth. That's where we sit down with Dick Foth and take the questions that listeners send in. I curate those and then put those together. And just always a phenomenal time um, learning from Dick. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. I'm so excited to have my friend John with us today. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Aaron. It is great to be with you. John, would you just go ahead and maybe share a little bit about you and your wife, Tina? And um, yeah, just before we jump into some questions, maybe just a little bit about your your love and passion and um, your journey with, with, with Christ. Yeah, well, as we all do, we all have a, a story that brings us to where we are and um I would be no exception to that rule. Grew up in the church. Dad was a pastor my whole life. Um, uncles and aunts, missionaries and pastors, grandparents, pastors, and um, grew up. Don't remember really when I accepted the Lord as my Savior, but 
had kind of a winding path and strayed a little bit off the path for a while. And the Lord graciously brought me back and uh, allows us to serve him daily. And so yeah. we're thrilled about that. My wife, Tina, and I, um, both of us uh, having come from failed marriages previously and uh, been married almost 10 years now. And during that time, the Lord has allowed us to travel around the world and work with God's chosen servants and, and the people he desires to call back to himself. And uh, we just have a passion for the lost and a passion for seeing people come to know Jesus and serve him like we do. Yeah. John, you have uh, unique giftings and talents as I've got to know you more and more. And my respect for you just grows. And your your unique ta- giftings and talents are in the area of the martial arts and your your passion to help people be able to be safe. And um, yeah, could you just share about maybe your journey and how you got involved in martial arts and um, how that became something that you were you were, you have a love and passion for? Yeah, well, has a lot of little boys growing up seeing Bruce Lee and you know the the Chinese kung fu theater on late Saturday mornings or whatever. You know, I had a fascination with martial arts, and I was always interested in that. My dad didn't necessarily support that, um, coming from a very um, conservative background. He would he would call us the Frozen Chosen uh, <laughs> up in Wisconsin and <laughs> Northern Michigan district. Um, yeah, he didn't really he didn't really see that as something maybe to do because of the aspect of Eastern religion, because of the thought of violence and learning how to do violence rather than this idea of turning the other cheek. And so I never really had the exposure to do that. Um, later on, as an athlete in high school, I ended up having a, a severe injury, my hip, and I got a bone avulsion. Actually, um, one of the muscles pulled away from my hip bone. And the the orthopedic surgeon actually gave us a choice or my parents a choice. Either he can have surgery or we can just see if it'll heal. That's the better option if it just heals by itself. So my folks said, hey, let's give it a shot. If it doesn't, we'll go back for surgery. Uh, As it started to heal, the doctors then came up and said that the best form of therapy for me would be karate. And so for the first time in my life, my dad was open to the idea. And so uh, probably with much fear and trepidation on his behalf, he took me to the local YMCA, you know, the safest place possible to learn (laughs) martial arts. And uh, we walked into the studio and there stood a man who my dad immediately recognized. And he said, Denny, you teach karate? And, And the man looked at my dad and said, Pastor Pete? Yes, I do. And it turns out the local karate instructor, his day job was he managed the restaurant that my dad would take guest ministers to when they would come to the church. And so my dad was able to quell a lot of his fears and uh, really understand that martial arts can be removed from the religious aspect. And at that point, it becomes a sport. It becomes a physical activity. And so I was allowed to begin later on. Uh, not too much later than that, actually a little bit before that, uh, somebody who was very near and dear to our family um, was assaulted. And this had a huge effect on my psyche as a young kid, as I, at that time, foolishly vowed in my heart to make this man feel as he had made this young lady feel. And um, so when I got involved in martial art, my thought was not about sport. It was not about culture, it became about how can I actually use this to actually be martial? 
in its artness. Yeah. <laughs> so that really drove my, my passion. Um, obviously the Lord took all that out of my heart, but um, because of that sort of bent, by the time I got to North Central University, uh, North Central Bible College at the time in 1992, I had already trained in Japan, been to Hong Kong, been to the Philippines, been in China, trained around and had learned a lot and had a lot of experience. And so when I came to North Central at that time, I was asked to be a part of the security team and to help teach security because there was an uptick that was happening of violence in Minneapolis at the time. And so the school is having to react to that for the safety of the students and staff to be able to train and have people prepared to deal with certain things that were happening on campus and in the neighborhood. Concurrently to that, I got a job in downtown Minneapolis, actually working as a bouncer. And um, my level of understanding of violence grew and matured very quickly. And my passion still was, how does this stuff work? But more now, how could I help people not become victims of violent crime? Hmm. And so that led on a journey, which brings us to today. And I'm babbling on, but just no, give it's a good. Yeah, it's no, it's a great backstory, and um, it just lets us, yeah, just understand. I got to participate in one of John's trainings a few weeks ago, and uh, I was when you see John. John's a big guy; he's imposing, but he's also very fast. And that was the thing that I think caught me off guard. I had no doubt that he was stronger than me, um, but man, he's super fast. And so that came out in the training. And so anyway, it was just uh, it was just phenomenal to see him in action and to see his passion. Uh, um, as he said, to keep people safe and just the, the heart to see workers that are sharing the message of Jesus Christ be able to do that. At the same time, not put themselves in, in places or if they're found in a situation, they can defend themselves. Um, and he says it's, you know, to I don't want to steal your words, but you you teach people to escape, not to engage so that they can become Bruce Lee, but at the same time to escape. Is that am I kind of summarizing it? Correct, John? 100 percent. One of the things as I was asked because of my background to be able to teach people um, how to stay safe in a, in a quote-unquote self-defense class, one of the things that I realized very quickly was that people were not going to be able to do this material later on under extreme stress because of the changes that happen to our brain and our body actually under an adrenalized state or the fight-or-flight response. And so actually I taught classes regularly and uh, until one particular evening, I had taught a class at North Central and I went to work in downtown Minneapolis, something happened. I tried to do something that I had taught earlier in the day and under stress, I froze and I couldn't do it. Mm. And I really had a crisis of conscience at night. And I believe it was the Lord really kind of pushing me as I came to the realization that the guy who was supposed to be the expert couldn't do it in a real life scenario. So how was somebody who had just been exposed to a lecture, essentially, how are they going to ever be able to make that work? And so it became painfully obvious that it wasn't going to work. And so I actually stopped teaching self-defense for a number of years. I still work with law enforcement and security teams because they'll actually train, but people who aren't willing to put in the time, it's just, it's really an entertainment value more than an educational value at mm. best. And so um, the Street Smart Defender, this class that you were a part of, Aaron, and, and that we've taught around the world now, we really use it uh, in three different ways. One is to work with workers 
to be able to give them a skill set to allow them to do the work God's called them to do, but still stay safe and come home at night. One is as an outreach platform, because universally what we've found in all cultures, people have a need and a, to feel safe. And so if you can literally give them a real beneficial class that only takes about two and a half hours that they can leave and say, yeah, I got something of value of that. It builds a bridge, which allows further interaction and communication with them in the long run, which allows for sharing our, our, our love of Jesus with them. And then the third thing is we just believe everybody in today's day and age, nobody should have to live their life in fear. Everyone should be able to get away from a bad guy. Yeah. And so really, you know, in today's day and age, people should know the Heimlich maneuver. People should know some basic CPR. If you live in a place where there's water, you should know how to swim. And likewise, why wouldn't you want your family to know how to be able to get away from an unwanted approach or attack? Good. If it's good. literally as easy as a two and a half hour class, why wouldn't you want to do that? And so that's this class literally is that long and you literally will have it for the rest of your life barring a traumatic brain injury because these are principles and things you've done every day since you were a little kid so what you need to do is just have a new reference point for how that applies to your life and once you've experienced that you'll understand it and and you'll have it for the rest of your life no it's good it's good John, one of the th- we were having breakfast a few weeks ago, and um, in that process of conversation, we're coming on a shift to e armor is one one of the parts that I think is just fascinating. Using the some of what we've talked about, and in that conversation, you talked about a critical moment in your life. Uh, I call it a God ordained. I think the question was God ordained moment. But can you share about that as we're, we'll kind of move towards this this concept of e armor and how you're using that to help uh, equip people? Emotionally. Absolutely. So my wife and I had been uh, involved with a a ministry uh, in the West Coast, and we had some disagreements with some of the other leadership. And um, and it culminated in in a meeting that was shocking to my wife and I. And we left that meeting knowing that we no longer could be involved with our conscious, couldn't be involved with this, this organization. And so we ended up just kind of moving to a beach city and, and thanking God, you need to, you need to give us some clarity. And, but for now we're on the beach and yeah. uh, I was doing some training <laughs> and I just thought, Lord, we'll wait and see what you do, where you direct us from here. But we really, we really found our little brook and we're asking the Lord to send the, you know, the ravens and just yeah. minister to us a little bit. And um, my wife and I were in our apartment and I literally had a bling pop up on my Facebook. And I saw that a long time, an old friend of ours, uh, of mine personally, from when I was a kid, a missionary was literally two miles away driving up the Pacific Coast Highway. And he just had put out a... Uh, a message. And I called him through Facebook immediately. And they said, Hey man, you know, you're literally like a few minutes from us. Can I come and meet you? And he said, what's your number? And so he called me and he said, Hey, you know, where are you at? And in the background, I hear this voice and he sounds like he's from Wisconsin, my home, my, my childhood home. And so kind of hard to miss that that accent. (laughs) And so he said, I know a John Koshel, who is this, you know? And, um, 
anyway, we ended up meeting in uh, the time of the missionary was fantastic. And, but that led to a meeting with, with this, this gentleman who was a professor at Vanguard. And um, he had known my family and my father and, and my uncle John. And so he really took me under his wing a little bit. And he could sense that we were dealing with some struggles internally. I was certainly dealing with some struggles and was at a point in my life where just wondering, God, what in the world is happening now? And really a crisis moment in my life. And um, and he just looked at me and he said, you know, what's going on, first of all? And then can I speak to you? And I said, of course, you know, and I shared with him what was happening. And, and he just said, look, you know, um, it's very common in the young life of men and women to uh, have a lot of high experiences and get to go out and do a lot of stuff. And, and God allows us these instances and things that happen in our lives and we take on board and it just is great and it's exciting. And we see a trajectory for our life and then something can happen and it can feel like you're sidelined or it can feel like you're out of sync, can feel like you've lost blessing or whatever, but it can be very disconcerting. And a lot of people can see this as a midlife crisis or what have you. But he said, actually, what's happening is if you'll allow him, the Lord is turning you inward to refine these, these things that he's poured into you so that in the next season of your life, you can pour out into the next generation and become the leader God's called you to be. And that really, really spoke to me. And he invited us to be a part of, of a master's program that he was actually heading up. And uh, so he allowed us or he helped us to get into it very quickly, my wife and I. And that started a, a period of um, deep growth for me personally is really starting to understand spiritual development and the process the Lord walks us through all of us and that it's a universal thing, even though it's an individual experience. These are things that all of us, if we allow him, will take us through. And so um, that really set the course for this stage of our life. And it was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. It's good. And good it was word. at the beach, Aaron. So, I mean, that, you know, what can you say? That's true. That's true. Especially for a boy from West Virginia. Sounds good. Um, yeah. For sure. So, John, as we that conversation we were having, then we began to talk about, you know, the experience you had. And you said that you had moved to the beach because of an experience. And it was an emotional experience, a spiritual experience. And then you you, you began to talk about e-armor. And, um, man, it's, that's, it's fascinating to me. Um, and something since that day, obviously, the story resonated because I still remember it um, as you shared it. But then also this idea of e-armor and taking your the past experience that you've had with with the martial arts and under that and then applying that into emotional armor. Anyway, I don't want to steal it, but could you just share about e-armor? And uh, I got some more questions after that. Absolutely. Um, so I had already been working with this idea of learning or helping people understand how to protect themselves physically. Um, but then as I got into the master's program and spurred off of that event that had happened previous to moving out to the to the coast, um, we had been in a situation where even though I have studied leadership since I was in my teens, which was, you know, decades ago, um, when it really came down to it and this conflict happened, I felt lost and I felt overwhelmed and I felt helpless to be able to really affect an outcome that was equitable and a win-win. You know, it, it really felt like we got hammered 
it was unnecessary. There was uh, negative fallout that happened all around. It wasn't a positive experience. And so getting involved in, in the master's program, a lot of what we did or a, a large chunk of what we did ha had to do with dealing with conflict resolution or certainly a good piece of it. And there were certain times during that those classes that I literally started laughing out loud when concepts were brought out because I thought, have these people ever had someone really in their face, really screaming at them? And again, of course, my mind goes back to the years of being a bouncer Sure. when every single day, sometimes <laughs> every hour I was at work multiple times, I would have to deal with irate people who are not in their right minds. Yeah. And so a thought crossed my mind. Why isn't there a, a logical connection from theory to practice? Why, why don't we have some form of praxis that actually helps us integrate the theory into real life practice? And then it hit me that in my training in combatives and in the martial arts and the actual application of those things, that's one of the main things we study. In fact, on the highest levels of art, we talk about the, the physicality is really easy. And it's actually the first stage. It's not the mm -hmm. end. It's the first. The actual mm -hmm. difficult thing is learning how to protect yourself against somebody who's trying to hurt you. The highest level, it's easy to hurt people, right? I mean, anybody can pick up a brick and hit someone in the head that takes no training. Yeah. And uh, as well, I can run in and start screaming at somebody and really hurt them emotionally. It, sure. It's not a challenge at all. But how do you protect yourself? How do you have emotional armor when someone's actually trying to hurt you? And then more importantly for our discussion, how can I protect myself and not hurt them? Mm, it's good. And thereby affect a win-win outcome rather than an I win or you win, which necessitates one of us loses. That's yeah, good. And so in the in our in our world as leaders, but also certainly in our walk as Christians, I think we have a responsibility. Well, I know we do because Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, so that all men will know that you are my disciples. Well, how do we love one another? Is that hard or easy when things are going well? No problem, right? For sure. That means we're sort of in, it's incumbent on us to be able to love one another well, even when it's not going well. How do I protect myself and protect you during a conflict? And so e-armor for me became, how do I use the lessons that I've learned in the security world? How do I protect myself from people calling me names, throwing dispersions about my character and my whoever else, you know? How do I protect my mind and my emotions? Why can't I use that exact same methodology and then put it into a leadership context so that I can use those theories well? Because here's the problem, and here was the main issue that I had with myself, and maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one that had a problem with this. When somebody actually either comes at you, right, I look at conflict in three different ways. Somebody approaches you and they're in your face and you have to deal with an issue or I have to approach somebody and give correction or direction, which can cause a reaction. And that can be also contained, you know, can sure. be cantankerous. 
And the last thing is, what if I, as a leader, have to come in and mitigate between two parties that are having a problem? All three of those present specific challenges that are slightly different and very nuanced. But the one thing that is the same through all of that is the person John is when he enters into that situation is going to dictate how I can react and therefore what's going to happen as a response. Sure. Emotionally, your mind, your ability to function under stress is completely related to the outcome of how this is going to happen, what's going to happen in this conflict. So if I can't manage my own emotional state, my own psychological state, as I step into this, I'm not going to be able to lead effectively. And what I punch people with is, you know, it's, it's actually possible to lose decades of um, reputation, of witness, of, of good work. It's possible to destroy that in one sentence. It's true. Very true. If I use my words improperly, I can literally destroy a legacy. And so if I'm not willing for my words or my actions to be posted on YouTube, if I'm not proud of how I'm acting, I shouldn't act that way. Yeah, that's good. So why is it when people finish something, sometimes we can hear them say, oh, I never do that. I don't know why I said that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have. Oh, I yeah. wish I should have. Yeah. It's because they weren't acting emotionally as themselves during that instance. And so it becomes critical that we can manage our own emotional state as we enter into these things. And that sounds great, but how do you actually do it, Eric, when somebody That's... is in your face, spitting on your glasses because they're so angry at you and they're so close to you, not, yeah. you know, just sure. with their language is so violent. How do you do that? And that is what emotional armor is all about. So it's a praxis. It's an actual mindset that I teach. Yeah. And then a practical checklist of literal steps that you walk through to focus, to, to bring the person into communication with you. So they're no longer talking to you, but they're yeah. actually talking with you. Yeah. Allows you to lead and bring it right into a focused issue that now you can address in a way yeah. that will be meaningful for the long-term relationship. All conflict, if handled correctly, should build relationship, not destroy it. That's good. That's good. John, I could go 12 different ways, but I won't um, on this. But the one thing I wanted to, well, I have two questions. So you talk about, we have, we get into this place and when you were working as a bouncer, it would be, I would expect maybe that there might be people that are angry and you said they're not in the right mind. And in that context, I think, you know, you might expect it, but many of the people that listen into this podcast are working with people that say they love Jesus and are following Jesus, right? Or they're, they're sharing Jesus and they're in situations and these emotional situations come and it's it's a little different. And so how does this help us? Because I think those are the most hurtful, at least for Aaron. So I won't speak for other people. Aaron, those are the ones that are most hurtful. And that's what I think intrigues me about this emotional armor. I care for that person. Um, if I didn't care, it'd be easy to have a conflict because I could walk away from it, right? But I exactly. care for them and I'm invested in them. And I think they probably invested in me. And that comes 
How, yeah, do you, any wisdom on that? Or am I making any sense or am I just babbling on it? Yeah, so the question is, how do you, you know, not in a bouncer context, not in a security context where I don't actually like the person. You sure. know, it's super easy for me to stay disconnected or to completely discount what people say if I don't have relationship with them, if they don't have any emotional capital with me. But when it's somebody who actually means something to me, that means I don't have a defensive wall up there. Probably they're already inside of my relational boundary. They're in my oikos. They're in my group. They're people that I love, trust, honor, uh, respect. When that happens, it becomes very difficult because we don't have emotional armor. We don't have any boundary between us and our raw emotions. And so... um, the key here for me uh, is understanding that not always, but almost always, I would posit when, when somebody comes to you with an issue, it's not always all about you. There's some other context that's playing in the background. Now, could it be that you're needing correction? Of course. And, if, you know, if that kind of thing happens, then it is about you. It is about you. But in, in the vast majority of conflicts I've seen, there's misunderstandings happening and there's something else playing behind the scenes. And so uh, just to, when we talk about when I when I use the bouncer or the security or the law enforcement illustration, it's because I want to magnify the principle so that it's sure. easily understood. Once you understand it, it's very easy for you to bring it down to context. But none of e-armor is about physical conflict. It's about dealing with emotional issues or um, conflict resolution. And so the main key is remaining yourself and remaining relational. And you hit Mm. on it a little bit, Aaron. When you... um, it's easy to stay in an environment where somebody is aggressive or coming after you um, abusively, even if I can disconnect, yeah. if I'm not present, if yeah. I can totally just la, 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 how's that Starbucks going to taste later? You know, it doesn't affect me. Or if it's somebody that I don't care anything about, it's easy. But when there's somebody that is within our walls already, that becomes very difficult. And so here's the key. Your prefrontal cortex has to remain engaged. And that is the main problem with all the other training models. They don't, they don't deal with how do you actually function within the situation. It's good. Your prefrontal cortex, as you know, houses your personality. It houses your idea of how you and your people respond in any given situation. And so Friedman would say, you have to remain a self-differentiated leader, someone mm. who can stay connected in the situation without changing fundamentally who you are. And therefore, you have to become a thermostat that changes the temperature of the argument rather than a thermometer that reflects yeah. what's happening. That's good. And so if somebody approaches you and gets in your face or you have to deal with this and it's unexpected or even if it's expected, if you can't keep your own emotional state from echoing back what's being thrown at you, a calm answer turns away wrath, right? Yeah. If, I, if I can keep myself from echoing or reflecting back, I can actually begin to influence. And yeah. the way we can do that is by staying curious. Now, in the security world, we would teach you how to be 
sarcastic. <laughs> but that doesn't work very well with my wife, and it wouldn't work very well with right. with um, coworkers or people that I respect and want to maintain relationship with. But if I can realize, hey, this probably isn't all that I am seeing. There's probably another perspective. And I remember so clearly Brother Del Tar giving a lecture about understanding a parable through two different cultural eyes and the realization that a one point of view or a, a, a mono vision and monocular vision gives a view of the picture, but it doesn't give any depth perception. It doesn't give perspective. Sure. And so, you know, from a multitude of counselors, wisdom is found. And so if I can learn to, in the moment, disconnect from the aggressive emotion, but not from the person, mm, it's good. start to be secure in myself and ask the question, what else is going on here that I need to understand to get a full perspective? Just the act of curiosity in itself turns on your prefrontal cortex and makes sure that it's functioning. That's good. If you can do that alone, you can follow the rest of my checklist to walk through this. Yeah. If you can't, you're in trouble. And what I would say is find a reason to walk away. Yeah. Go to the bathroom, get a cup of coffee, say you need to sneeze, take a telephone call, do whatever you need to do. Because remember, in one sentence of misused words, I can destroy a lifetime of reputation and witness. Yeah. It's good. It's worth it to make sure you're able to adequately deal with your own self so that you don't cause more hurt and actually can work through a positive outcome. I just want to pause for 30 seconds in the middle of this episode to share some exciting news about the book I published, A Caring Life, How Each of Us Can Change the Trajectory of an Uncaring World. It's available now on Amazon and audiobook, Kindle, and print form. And the book helps us recognize that our world is moving in a direction of an uncaring life and helps us reorient towards a caring life where those that are in our life feel valued, they feel known, they know that they belong, and they matter. The book, as I said, is, is a valuable resource and I believe will help change the trajectory of an uncaring world. It's available now on Amazon. That's good. John, the other thing when, when you talk about that, I think it really, the lights really came on as I went through your the training for Street smart defender, sorry. And um, as I went through that, and it made me, I guess I should have thought about it, but I didn't think about it in the past, that actually the, as you talked about our mind shutting down in a fight or flight situation, and we kind of, that prefrontal cortex closing down, but the same thing can happen in a, in a conflict when it's not maybe physical, but it's a just a conflict. Can, and can you, Absolutely. And, and I, for, I should have made those connections, but I did not until you eloquently shared it. So it's just, it's very insightful. Very, very insightful. Yeah. The, the whole point is your body doesn't know the difference between kinds of stress. Hmm. And you're the medical pers person yeah. here, but I believe that's true. That stress sure. is stress is stress. It is. So if you are under stress because a fist is coming towards your head, your brain is going to react a certain way. It's the same thing if somebody attacks your livelihood, your character, your reputation. We have this response. Adrenaline, cortisol, and a bunch of other chemicals hit our body. 
and it causes this emotional response. And when you have fight or flight, that represents emotional states. Hmm. And so fight, we would say, represents probably anger. But because your prefrontal cortex is no longer functioning, the logical sequential processor, that means there's no logical governor on that anger anymore, and it becomes rage. That's good. When you are in the flight, that would be fear. But again, without that logical governor, it becomes phobic level fear or terror. Mm. And so there's no logical discussion that can talk somebody out of that. So it's imperative that we keep the logical governor, the thing that tells us who we are and how we normally act. It helps us to understand if we're getting better over time or worse over time. Yeah. Helps us recognize whether somebody is a threat or friendly. Yeah. All these things will shut down. You'll lose that opportunity or that ability if you are feeling stressed and that can be attached or measured by heart rate, blood pressure, other things. And I don't know about you, but when you get attacked emotionally or verbally, that can cause deeper and longer lasting scars than a blade. I've been yeah. cut. I've been stabbed in my work. Yeah. Those things healed. Yeah. But if my friend or my wife, somebody inside of my walls would hurt me, those are things that cut deeper and last longer. That's yeah, true. And so we feel this, yeah. you know, you learn as kids, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt. No, they will hurt you. Yeah. Yeah. They really for will. Sure. They for sure. And so we we react to that emotionally. And so that's why it has such a, a massive effect on us. The other, one of the other things is, uh, is you shared, which I thought was very insightful, uh, is you talked about, you know, there's lots of teaching and books on conflict and, and but this idea of actually putting it into practice, and that's one thing as we go through your training on on the physical side, you take us through you take us through steps of we can practice it and kind of I think you call it stress uh, inoculation or, or giving you some idea of what's going to happen. And you shared about when it comes to e armor, we can read all about it, but then we don't put those principles into practice. And then, yeah, but could you just share about that? Because I thought that was super insightful. For sure. So in all the training that I do, all of it, it's always experiential-based training. I have a lot of books, and my wife would laugh, and, you know, and I share this, you know, as, as a kind of hit on myself, but I have a lot of books over here in a bookshelf about training for a triathlon. I even have a bike in the other room. If I don't <laughs> get on the bike, the book does me no good. Yeah. The book informs something that I have to experience to actually progress in my ability. The Navy SEALs have a motto, and it comes from a, a Greek general, but it said, you will never rise to your level of expectation under stress. You will always fall to your level of training, and I would say, or preparation or experience. So you can learn experience here, learn something, and then you'll forget about it. Or it won't be able to be used by you if you actually need it, unless you train in such a fashion to mimic at a very small level 
the environment externally and internally that you will need that training in. And so we take baby steps and we allow you to feel a little bit of the adrenaline, a little bit, similar to if you would lean back too far in your chair and catch yourself and you have that, that, ooh, that feeling, that's adrenaline. And if you just have a, a tiny bit of that in your system and you successfully complete what you're trying to learn, you're literally giving yourself an inoculation against stress. And so you're much more likely to be able to pull that out and be able to use it when you actually need it. And so for me, it's a key. And I think training, uh, there are some things that you can just watch a video or read a book, right? If you have reference for it already, sure, you can inform that thing you already have a reference for. But if you've never had that, and I always make this this, um, example, if you've never tasted chocolate, you've never smelled it, you've never heard of it, you've never seen it, you have no idea what this thing is, and I come and sit in a room with you and put a piece of chocolate on the table in front of you, how many words would I need to use for you to understand what it tastes like? And of course, the answer is you never could until you tasted it. Once you've experientially tasted the chocolate, you understand immediately, and my words never will do justice to that. And it's the same with any other skill set. If you've not experienced it, it doesn't matter if you've seen it in a book or on a video. It's not real to you in a real-life scenario unless you have tasted the chocolate. Yeah. And I think when it comes to these conflicts that you talk about, um, it's not something we seek out. So maybe we're, and you might, hopefully you're not having a conflict every day, right? So it's not if you, and it, maybe you have a one every three months, I don't know, six months, whatever the time frame is. But if it just, the lights went on because I got a bookshelf too of books on conflict and uh, crucial conversations, fierce conversations, all these ideas on conversations. Yeah. But at the same time, I read it and then I don't go through any practice. I don't go through role plays or anything like that. Um, and then when it comes to using it, I, you know, I fall to that. I don't rise. I, I fall um, because yeah. I, I just don't have any. I have theoretical knowledge, but I've not put it into practice. So it was For sure. such a valuable light bulb that went on for me uh, when you shared that. And uh, this gave me some some exciting things to think about going forward. So any recommendations, John, when it comes to maybe not the physical conflict, because but maybe when it comes to maybe the verbal back and forth, is there can we role play that also or any? any Absolutely. So as a matter of fact, this last weekend, uh, Tina and I were at a church in Louisiana, one of our uh, district presbyters, and he had us come in and work with all of his leadership, his board, his 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 all his staff, and we did an e-armor uh, workshop for them over the day. And um, you know, of course, people start to get a little antsy when the class goes from "Hey, we're talking about this" to "Now you're actually going to do it" because we do role plays. And so we'll do a series of role plays where they have to actually sit with one of, you know, somebody else in the room. And we don't put people generally in front of people, don't put them under pressure. It's enough pressure. And so we let them separate. But the rules are simple. Remember a time when somebody actually lambasted you. Give your partner a brief understanding of the scenario without telling them what you're going to say. And then step into the role play and you go after them like that person went after you. And be fair. But then the other person 
have to come from the mindset. This is the framework that I'm using in my mind. And then walk through a checklist and actually bring a positive conclusion to the outcome. And so they do it the first time and, and then they switch roles. And some people come back crying, you know, and um, not trying to make it tense. But uh, when you feel that experience of I really don't know what to do right now, yeah. um, it can be a little, little hard. And that's why you have to fall back to a checklist. Now, let me just step, if you don't mind, Aaron, let me just jump really quickly. Why a checklist? In any critical skill in the world, if somebody knows I'm going to be in a critical position, they are going to learn the standard operating or best practices for that situation. Sure. As a private pilot, when I was getting my pilot's license, there was literally a checklist for everything. In the medical profession, if you have to run a code, there is a checklist. Why? Because if I am in an extreme stress and there's a risk that my prefrontal logical processor is going to shut down, I don't want to have to try to figure out what's the best thing to do. Sure. So True. why don't I have a list that tells me exactly what to do? And that lets me, number one, be assured I'm doing the right thing. And number two, have the conscious ability to now look for what else is going on that I need to understand. And so it's the same. Why don't we do the same thing? Yeah. When I have a conflict with somebody, I think the stakes are too high to just flip a coin here. Yeah. People are getting hurt. Organizations are being fractured. We're losing personnel. We're, we're destroying witness yeah. because you or I just didn't, you know, I was off that day and I didn't yeah. do what I, I don't know what I, what I was thinking. I should have, I would have blah, blah, blah. So why not just take that away and have a checklist of what we know will work? And that's what this class teaches you to do. Awesome. Awesome. John, I, I went uh, a little bit off, but can I get one question and then I'll ask you to pray for us. Gift of fear. Every time I hear you share, you talk about a book, Gift of Fear. Can you maybe say a minute or two on why this book is very impactful? And then um, and what I just ask you to pray for us. For sure. Yeah, The Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker is probably the penultimate work on this idea of pre-incident indicators. And so um, if you're not, if you don't know who Gavin DeBecker is, look him up. And I would say, literally, I bought this book for every member of my family. And in some cases, I literally shamed them until they read it. It's important. <laughs> I wouldn't give it to little kids. Um, yeah. Parents read it first. And then he has another follow-up work called Guarding the Gift something like that, about children. Sure. But the idea is basically this. Your um, conscious mind fires at certain hertz, say five hertz a second. Your other than conscious mind fires faster than that, say six hertz a second. So you actually have this gift from God of fear. When, when the when the chicken keeps yelling and the sky is falling and the sky is falling, when, you, when you're afraid of everything, then the real gift gets drowned out. But if you can understand that when you have a feeling something's wrong, to learn to listen to that, because it's your God-given, other-than-conscious mind picking up things that are incongruent in your environment, which are warning you something's wrong. And so he goes through in the book and, and 
lists a lot of examples of true-to-life things that have happened. And so it's an easy book to read in that it's not a scholastic work, but it's a difficult book to read in that there are some real things in there that are uncomfortable, but it's not grotesque by any means. Sure. But what's going to happen is if you read that book, you're actually educating your other than conscious mind to have this material as a reference that it will use to cycle through your environment and actually help you pick out things that are really dangerous to you. It's a good book. Good. I appreciate it. John, it's been an honor. It always is. Um, Will you pray for us today? I would love to. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the chance to come together and chat about things that we know are near and dear to your heart. Lord, you want us to live, if at all possible, to live in peace with everyone. And so help us, Lord, to be um, better stewards of your light and of your love. Help us to learn to love one another, how to care more for one another, Father. Thank you for Aaron and for the work he and his family are doing, Lord. I pray that you bless them and each person that listens to this podcast, Father. We love you and we praise you, and it is our honor, King, to serve you. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. 